Hello and welcome to Booper's Healthy Me podcast. This is the fourth episode in our series and so far we've heard from a number of experts covering everything from eating well at work to how screen time is affecting our daily lives. Today I'm joined by Dr Alexandru Dregan, a senior lecturer in psychiatric epidemiology at King's College London and Booper's clinical sleep and respiratory physiologist Julius Patrick. So welcome to you both. In today's podcast we're going to discuss all things sleep but first of all I'd just like to ask you to tell us a little more about yourselves. So Alex if you could start. Thank you Tina. I'm a senior lecturer as you said in uh, psychiatric epidemiology and my interest is in sleep research as applied to public health to general population try to understand the trends and prevalence in different sleep disorders across the whole age group. And how did you get into that? What made you so well, interested about it? I trained as a psychologist and I always had an interest in mental health. And my first research position after my PhD was looking at um, sleep disorders in older adults, where the interest was in trying to sort of unpick some of the issues around sleep disorders because it's an area that was very little researched. So that's how I got into, into sleep, just by chance, in a way, after uh, my, my PhD. Okay. Um, and Julius, you work at the Cromwell. Um, right. Could you tell me a little bit about your, your role at the Cromwell? Yes, so currently I'm the lead sleep physiologist at the Cromwell. I've held that position for about six months now. Um, my background is in respiratory physiology. It's interesting because I always wanted to be a psychologist, so it's nice <laughs> sitting here talking about sleep. Um, but yeah, you know, historically I'm in lung function testing, exercise, physiology, fitness to fly, working with the lungs things like that and there was a big crossover between respiratory and sleep so people who have sleep apnea people who have COPD who hypoventilate at night so there was a little crossover there and then that's just developed into complex sleep where you know now I do all the polysomnographies the actigraphies all of those sort of recordings on our patients interesting that is good so first of all I think what we'd like to talk about is why sleep is so important for us um Julius as our sleep physiologist um if we could come to you first yeah so you know it's important to look at what happens if we don't sleep you know so how do you feel I feel exhausted exhausted you feel sleepy irritable irritable (laughs) upset so a primitive way of looking at it is you know you could say sleep we sleep to not feel these things you know that is a historic view of looking at it but you know, about 150 years ago, they used to say sleep is the intermediate place between wakefulness and death. And it was seen as a passive state where now, because of the advancements in medical fields, the MRI scanners, where we can look deep into the brain and the EEG recordings of the brain waves, we can see that sleep is actually an active state where a lot of metabolic processes are occurring. And it's, you know, fundamental for all our main physiological processes so cardiovascular system yeah. it's linked with high blood pressure stroke heart disease you know studies have shown people who get six hours or less are likely to suffer a heart attack up to 45 percent more than those sleeping sleeping less than six hours alex can i ask you the same question so yeah. why is sleep so important well i think it's for various reasons first thing that picking up on what julius said in terms of accidents motor vehicle accidents about 10 to 15 percent are due to sleep Gosh. Or, or related fatigue right so in a way, sleep deprivation is, is responsible for between 200 to 350,000 deaths due to a motor vehicle. So that notice that we see on the motorways, tiredness kills, take a break, 
that is really important for yeah, us. Yeah, if anything, probably is understates yeah. the, the true uh, impact of sleep. And as Julia said, children tend to, perf- to underperform at school. It okay. affects their cognitive performance, their academic abilities you know, at school. Their older adults are more likely to report feelings of fatigue or uh, um, frailty symptoms associated with during said, premature mortality, sleep disorders, especially chronic sleep disorders, tend to be associated with increased cardiovascular mortality and all-cause all mortality rates. It, it, it creates a huge economic problems for companies, because if, if, right. you, are, if, you, are un, if you feel unrested when you wake up in the morning, you're less productive. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there is kind of some studies in the US where they identify that sleep problems, sleep disorder, cost the US economy about $68 billion a okay. year, which is a huge impact yeah. in terms of uh, economy. It affects relationships, personal relationships, and also in terms of activities that people are involved uh, on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. So I think it's, it's, it's quite a broad uh, adverse impact on all kind yeah. of aspects of uh, patients, yeah. NHS, and society at large. Yeah. So it doesn't just affect us personally, it affects our families, our friends, our workplaces, the economy, it has a really yeah, big impact. Yeah, yeah. The big disasters as well, Chernobyl's a famous mm-hmm. one. Uh, oh really? It was found to be caused by overworked employees and yeah. sleep deprived employees. Um, there's another couple that I'm, yeah. I'm sure of have had a big impact. Yeah. And there's also the studies who, who link, tend to lead to suicide rates in teenagers. Mm-hmm. So teenagers who tend to report sleep problems, they are more like, again the direction of association probably it's a bit debatable mm-hmm. which way it goes, but there is some early evidence that might be linked to suicide. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Do we tend to get enough sleep or is this something that we struggle with? I know that I find maintaining regular sleep patterns quite difficult. Yeah, which is fundamental to getting a good night's sleep. Um, Surveys have shown that about 40% of people in the UK sleep less than seven hours and it's recommended that we should sleep between seven and nine hours to get a good restorative night's sleep. So fundamentally the answer is no, we don't get enough sleep. And when we talk about having trouble sleeping, Mm -hmm. what do we actually mean by that? So that can be a few different things. Um, Sleepiness actually comes from medications that may be causing sleepiness, other medical conditions, sleep deprivation, which is a reduced opportunity to sleep or an underlying medical condition. And these things can manifest in terms of struggling to get to sleep, sleep initiation, maintaining sleep, uh, waking up too early in the morning, or just feeling unrefreshed in the morning for an unknown cause. Okay. Alex, I know you've done some research into sleep and I'm particularly interested to hear about um, what you feel the scale of the problem is around people not sleeping well. Um, Can you tell us about some of your findings? Yes, as as, resonating what Julius was just saying in terms of the scale of the problem, I think the burden of sleep disorder is quite huge at general level, general population level. For instance, in our studies, uh, where we used the National Psychiatric Morbidity Survey with uh, adults age 18 to 60, what we found that the prevalence of sleep disorder was around 40%. In other words, 40% of adults, they have some sort of sleep disorder or sleep problem that Julius was mentioning, either initiating sleep, staying asleep, or waking up unnecessarily early. So that's really high. That's, it's, it's, that, it's, it's yeah. extremely high. And also, Quite what we were quite pleased with another study where we traced children who were born during one particular week in 1958 over a 30-year period. What we found that the prevalence of sleep disorders tended to increase 
over time. So whereas around uh, 16 or 6 percent of them reported a sleep problem, sleep disorder, by age 40, around um, 36 to 40 percent of them reported the sleep problem. So it just shows that the, that the issues around sleep problems do, do, don't go away they tend to increase over time. And again, there is clear evidence also in some of our studies where we compare differences in sleep uh, problems across different European countries, that as people move from 40 to 60 to 65 plus age group, the, the prevalence of sleep disorder again tends to grow to maybe around or increase to 45, 50%. So there is a huge issue in terms of uh, how we sort of measure sleep and the extent to which affects uh, all age groups. If I have a sleep problem, what can I do to help myself to sleep better? Um, so there's a few things you can do. We've got something that everyone uses called good sleep hygiene rules. Um, and the main thing on that list is maintaining a uh, sleep schedule from going to bed and waking up at the same time every day. There's small things you can do to you know, regulate your sleep environment, make sure it's a dark room. Make sure you're woken up from the sunlight to regulate your circadian rhythm. As we know, we're creatures of a 24-hour body clock and you know our sleepiness in most of us is determined by light and dark. Um, we can have baths before going to bed just to drop the core body temperature that allows us to get into a little bit of a slumber. Um, avoid caffeinated drinks and stimulants <laughs> before bed. As we know, vigorous exercise, anything that's going to keep the body a bit on edge prior to going to sleep. You talked about setting the environment um, for sleep. Big fan of ambience. Are you? Yes. Okay, so what would you do to set your environment? So I'd make sure that there's no TVs in the bedroom. I stay away from my iPad and my phone about an hour before going to bed. Got books on the bedside. Keep the lights very dim. I've got a little salt lamp far in the corner so it's not to, again, affect my melatonin levels. Um, but that's what works for me. You and know. what about temperature? I've often wondered about bedroom temperatures. Yeah, so again, everyone's a little bit different, but they say you should keep the, body, the temperature in the room um, quite low. Not, not freezing, but lower than, than higher, because again, it allows the body to, to go to sleep. So who is most affected by sleep problems, Alex? Well, I suppose, based on our research, everyone. You have a certain group of uh, people that like night shift, like you know, if, if you do shift toward, mm -hmm. they are more likely to experience because usually, Julius, you know best probably is daytime is not as good as nighttime sleep in terms of feeling rest or rested or not. So I think people who are doing shift works there. But again, there is also evidence that pregnancy is associated with increased risk problems. So probably uh, uh, women during pregnancy or maybe soon after giving birth, mm -hmm. until they adapt their mm -hmm. body or they, their. Uh, uh, lifestyle to, um, you know, to being a mom or a father. So those, those are aspects. They are, again, they are, they are, we know there are people in the society who suffer from depression, mental health disorders, people who suffer from physical illnesses, like as Julian said, with asthma, COPD. These are conditions who have a, a huge impact on, on, on sleep patterns, pain, chronic pain. Again, mm -hmm. it's, it's an increasing right. uh, issues. Yeah. And all these sort of physical disorders who are associated with pain, chronic pain or some sort of, of pain, they, or those are that impact on people's ability to continue with their social life. Things. And quite interesting, even moving from employment to retirement mm -hmm. can create a bit of issues around older age group okay. of people in terms of trying to 
probably reposition themselves within society, yeah. trying to find ways to fill in the gap, maybe that uh, previously the work sort of uh, environment found for them. So there, there is, again, there, there are also issues. I mean, there's studies, evidence suggested that urbanicity, people living in, in cities, you know, of course, as we know, close to airports, or so they, 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 again, they, they are a greater risk of uh, um, experiencing sleep. So it sounds like there's a whole range of issues that could impact on our sleep. Um, if we're having problems sleeping, how do you go about identifying what the main cause might be or um, what the most effective solution might be? Julius, if I could ask you. So again, I would, you know, you'd have to ask yourself a few sets of questions. Am okay. I struggling to fall asleep? Am I struggling to maintain sleep? And am I waking up refreshed in the morning? I think it's the main, the main driving force, you know, if... If you're not waking up refreshed in the morning, so there's a few things you can do. You can like reset your your sleeping schedule. So I heard one thing on a on a podcast where they said, you know, you you say you wake up at seven in the morning, you set your alarm back five hours, and that's the time you'll go to bed that day, and then you won't have any naps in the day. So you'll feel tired, and then each day you'll increase your sleep time by fifteen minutes right. until the point that you don't feel tired anymore. So that is your amount of hours you need to feel refreshed um if you know as we said there could be an underlying medical condition that needs to be diagnosed and properly assessed from a gp or your your doctor should that be should that be the case yeah um this is a bit of a side it's not on here so i'm going to ask it anyway um i'm interested in what you think of um wearables to track your sleep and sleep trackers because i have I've worn them myself mm -hmm. and I wake up first thing in the morning and I check it straight away but I'm not sure that it's telling me anything yeah. helpful. So they mainly work on movement, actigraphies, um, so how much are you moving in in the night time but some of them are telling you you're in deep sleep, you're in REM sleep but there's no EEG measuring your brainwave to tell you that. There's no, they're not validated methods yeah. measuring physiolog physiological parameters so I would say they're a gift and a curse because it can identify a problem or a snoring and then you go and see your GP, but some people do get way too attached to them and that fundamentally disrupts their sleep a bit more. So is the key to know whether you feel refreshed? Is that is that the, the most simple way to identify whether you've had a good night's sleep? Yeah. Are you refreshed in the morning? Are you? What's your daytime tiredness levels like? Are you dropping before lunchtime? Do you need X amount of coffees? you fall asleep on the sofa when you're reading when you're watching tv so you know i think do you feel refreshed in the morning and what's your daytime tiredness levels alex yeah. can i also pick up on what julius was, was saying also is with wearable technology it's quite interesting because one thing that i'm doing with my iphone not iphone samsung sorry keep a, a sort of a track like a, a schedule in terms of how many hours of sleep i had last night or so each day and then but that sort of more or less uh, um, sort of track like a, a sort of an alarm clock. Say, well, I haven't slept six mm. hours or seven hours. So I think the, the, another aspect is that we need to educate people about the amount of sleep. People are, are, are not as aware or as educated about the amount of sleep our body needs mm -hmm. in order to feel refreshed and to feel healthy. We know more about obesity. We know about diet physical activity and so on, we, don't, we know much less, or general population know, know much less about sleep disorder. And probably we hugely underestimate the true prevalence of sleep disorder. People tend to 
maybe ignores sleep until it's too late sometimes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah. sometimes myself, I know that I get to the weekend and then I have to sleep, you know, extra three, four hours just to... Just so that's the sleep depth we would exactly. call it, yeah. because yeah. you're sleeping less and less in the week. At the weekend, your body needs to try and rejuvenate the lost sleep over the week. And can you catch that up over the weekend? Uh, you can never fully recover yeah. from sleep depth. Right. No. No, no you can't. <laughs> um, you know, if you forget to do any shopping, that what your wife asks you. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk a little bit about sleep within different age groups, particularly how sleep affects the young and how sleep might affect the old. Um, my understanding is that as we get older, we can often experience poorer sleep, but actually this isn't the aging process itself. It's just that life becomes a bit crunchy as we get a bit older and we've got more difficult issues to juggle potentially. So Alex, could you tell us a little bit about um, your studies of sleep within specific populations? Yeah, so as, as you rightly said in general, sleep problems in older adults is not really related to the aging process, it's not a biological aspect, it's more related to what Julius was saying. As we get older, the, the sort of this, this, the type of sleep tends to change. So as we are younger or working age adults, we tend to have more like of a deep sleep, what is referred to as deep sleep, yeah. where we feel more rested, whereas as you get older, like, you get more like you have a higher proportion of your night sleep is spent into light sleep. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of make older adults probably report more sleeping problems. Yeah. No, is my understanding. So, but there is definitely a, an issue towards increased sleep problems as we age, as we get older. And for various reasons, it could be, we tend to live longer and we tend to live longer with chronic illnesses. Uh -huh. so that, that could be another reason mm -hmm. why probably we see this increased rates of sleep problems. Again, all these financial stories, the financial problems could impact equally old age groups, especially if it's related to a pension uh, uh, issues, any kind of uh, economic aspects associated with old age, again, can impact on, on, on older age reports of uh, sleep problems. And as well, moving to the younger, younger age groups, yeah. you know, teenage and adolescents, what we found in our studies around 6%, which is what sounds small, yet is, is a sort of huge public health problem because 10% of those ones tended to develop their sleep problems into chronic insomnia, which is what uh, Julius was saying. In terms of chronic insomnia, it's around 10% in the general population, which means that around 10% of teenage children are going to develop long-term life course problem with sleep disorders, which can translate into all sorts of health-related mm. issues, as, as Julian correctly said. So how could we go about helping and supporting sleepy teens or teenagers to, to develop healthier sleep patterns that will support them throughout their lives? Julius is more expert in intervention, <laughs> but, but I'm quite happy to, to make some suggestions. I, I think a, a small proportion of it is this misconception that teenagers you know, sleep late, go to bed late, but actually there's a biological shift in their circadian rhythms from you know, teenage years where they actually are programmed to go to bed later. So the early start times of school and college just doesn't fit what they're biologically meant to do. So we, us dragging them out of bed in the morning <laughs> is like telling their parents to get up at four or five in the morning. Or for them to go to bed at nine, 10 o'clock is like telling their parents to go to bed at seven, eight o'clock. So it's just a shift in their biology that society doesn't cater for pretty much. So, you know, again, you can tell them to try to go to bed early and, but biology will have its way. Yeah.
little bit more about different stages of sleep. Uh, yep, yeah. so depending where we are in our lifespan, we go through different cycles of sleep. When we're younger, we have a lot more REM sleep when we're born, rapid eye movement sleep, shall I call it. And then as we get older, it tends to shift to a, about 25% of our sleep being REM related and the majority being non-REM. So for the normal adult, we have stage one sleep, which is light sleep, stage two sleep, which is also very easy for us to wake up in. We spend about 5% of our night in light sleep, stage one, and about 50% in stage two sleep. Uh, stage three is what we call slow wave sleep, where the waves on the screen, what we see in big in amplitude and they're very nice and what's the word, rhythmic, as we should say. And this is our restorative sleep, where our growth hormones are at the highest, it's repairing our body cells, boosting our immune system. And we spend about 20% of our night in slow wave N3 sleep, sleep. And then we've got REM, rapid eye movement, which we spend about 25% of our time. And this is where the brain waves are just as active as they are when we're awake. Um, we also lose regulation of our body temperatures. We may be more prone to having apneas. And this is where we start to dream. Um, and this has been linked with, you know, forming memories, not just moving memories to certain parts of the brain, but forming memories, learning. If you, you know, learn something the night before and then you have good restorative sleep, it's the REM sleep that is reinforcing all of that into the brain. Uh, it's been linked with creativity. Uh, there's been known Paul McCartney, especially one who used to have a notepad by his bed and when he woke up from REM sleep he used to write down his songs and some people they use it for you know creative purposes. Um, Miro, the painter Miro, yeah. um, used sleep and used to um, paint based on his dreams yeah. immediately after he woke up. Correct, yeah. correct. Yeah. And dreams, they say that they may uh, be what we experience in our day-to-day -day life but it's, you know, it's not always the case. If we're worried we may dream about something a bit bad. But on an average, they have no relation to anything that we're experiencing in our day-to-day -day life. Looking at your practice at the Bupa Cromwell Hospital, um, what type of sleep disorders do you deal with within your clinic? The main ones that we see is insomnia, is the primary, primary sleep disorder of all of us, with up to 10%, as Alex was saying, suffering from the condition. Um, it can even be acute insomnia as a result of worry or stress that may or a life incident that may occur, or it could be chronic insomnia, which is uh, deemed as having symptoms three times a week for up to three months, I believe is what they say. Um, again, it can be secondary to medication, to another illness. Uh, some people, interestingly, have something called paradoxical insomnia, or sleep state misconception, where they believe they don't sleep, but when we wire them up in the lab, they sleep fine, oh, wow. um, which is an interesting one. Uh, so insomnia is probably the primary thing that we see. Secondly, sleep apnea, again, which is coming, which is blowing up lately, especially in the last few years where we're seeing a lot of people who, there's two different types, but the main one we'll talk about is obstructive sleep apnea, where there's a repeated blockage in the upper airway at night time. Um, and this causes a drop in the oxygen levels and little micro arousals from sleep. So people wake up to overcome the obstruction. So that's what's causing their sleep fragmentation, which they may not be aware of if they sleep alone. Um, historically, the bed partner will be like, you're snoring, <laughs> get up, get up. So normally that's how we get these guys into the clinic. The bed partner will be there and they'll be like, he stops breathing. You know, I see him stop breathing, he snores. Um, and that's also corresponded to daytime tiredness and fatigue. Uh, we also see narcolepsy, which is a condition of the central regions in the brain, um, 
where people have no regulation of sleep or wake and they fall asleep at inappropriate times, go into dream sleep, it's linked with hallucinations or sleep paralysis, where people wake up from dream sleep, but the dream sleep carries over into the real world and they have hallucinations and their body's paralyzed and they see demons and other crazy things coming towards them. So we're only starting to know about this stuff now, but you can imagine 100 years ago when people are experiencing this and they think UFOs mm. are coming for them or you know, they're getting visited by the gods and demons, etc. Um, narcolepsy is also linked with cataplexy, which is like a variant of narcolepsy where people, a strong emotion may cause them to fall asleep. So laughing, crying, and they'll just drop asleep on the spot, which is very interesting. And that's, that's also found in other animals, such as dogs. You can see on YouTube pictures of dogs who start laughing and just drop asleep, which is very interesting. Um, parasomnia is something that we're all common with, sleepwalking, sleep talking that arise from different stages in sleep. Um, when we go into REM sleep or dream sleep, we, we tend to have atonia over the body, which stops us from acting out our dreams. It's a reduction in, in muscle movement. So, so we don't get up and start walking around pretty much. Um, so, you know, sleepwalking can be quite benign unless you put yourself or others at risk, then mm -hmm. you should probably seek some help for it. There's a famous case in the 1980s where a gentleman, I say gentleman, but he woke up from deep sleep, drove 15 miles and murdered his mother-in-law and woke up on the way back and went to the police station, handed himself in. Um, and he got acquitted of murder because it was found out that he was to be, he was asleep. Um, so that is obviously an extreme case, but you know. Um, and restless legs or periodic limb movements, probably another common one, people that may, you know, be tired in the daytime, not know why. Sometimes there's involuntary movements of the muscles that happen sporadically over the course of the night that, you know, can keep them, keep them awake. Again, that's probably more seen in older, older people. Could you tell me about when sleep became uh, a topic that was of, gre of greater interest to researchers? Interest in sleep research, they were always kind of for the past 50 years or so, but however it became just once we started the aging of the population, maybe around two decades ago, when we started to become more aware of uh, you know, the prevalence of sleep disorders. And when we tried as well, there were changes in sort of uh, uh, patterns of obesity and so which Again, researchers, when we explore obesity, especially in children, they realize there is a link between sleep problems and obesity levels. So these uh, patterns in terms of obesity trends and aging raise some sort of questions around sleep issues and what the, the involvement of sleep into some of these uh, aspects and how sleep is patterning across the life course. Uh, and probably most the past decade, they become more kind of a public health issue per se in terms of trying to understand what implications got for uh, um, companies because it's always unfortunately we are always driven in terms of our research what from an economical perspective in terms of anything that impacts on on economy and aspect on companies and, and profit is mm -hmm. this sort of uh, 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 sort of coming into research and then government tried to fund research into that area to understand how maybe to reduce the cost, economic cost, or the implication of a specific you know, lifestyle behavior 
for the society in general. And also when it comes into an issue in terms of the impact on NHS costs. So, of course, once we cost with NHS, with cuts in NHS funding mm-hmm. or so, the government was interested in, okay, what aspects can be, are modifiable, where we can intervene in terms of sort of um, finding some sort of cost savings uh, interventions. And you now from lifestyle in terms of failure of physical activity, diet, really read uh, major impact in terms of cost, then sleep again came up through all this research as, as, a, as a major sort of lifestyle mm. that also impacts on all this kind of physical activity, diet and everything else in our life. So that's sort of the uh, areas over the past 20 years that sort of driven uh, increased interest in trying to uh, pick up sleep problems. And also people probably became more knowledgeable Mm-hmm. about sleep and they were you no know, we came then we have became more kind of professionalized so now we have professionals that deal with sleep probably in the past probably was more seen as a symptom of chronic illness yeah. depression so you didn't have specialists that would deal mainly with uh, with, with sleep related issues so mm-hmm. i think medicine in general kind of moved uh, forward from that sort of soul uh, focus on chronic illness. Mm-hmm. We, we realized that we need to target symptoms associated with, with specific disorders. So I think all these factors, the changes in the in the society, such aging or prevalence of different lifestyle behavior, and also the the way the the, the whole medical field sort of uh, change over time, have driven greater interest into sleep research. In some of your research, you ask people to self-report reasons that perhaps block them from sleeping well. Can you tell us what some of the results of that um, showed you? I mean, well, the reason why we are interested in that type of research is because most of the areas relating to causes of sleep was based on what clinicians thought, what us as specialists we thought might impact on people's sort of sleep problems. And there was no real research in terms of okay, what people feel, you know, how they sort of explain their issues around sleeping. Uh, problems and so, so there, for we found this national psychiatric morbidity survey, which collected information from people's kind of own reasons why they feel that they can't sleep enough, or maybe they feel unrested when they woke up in the morning. And how many people did that collect data from? So we are about seven thousand uh, uh, adults throughout the UK who took part in the survey, and about thirty percent of those ones they were unable to identify the uh. reason for their problems. And what we feel, I suppose, Julian, correct me if I'm wrong, is probably they might have a primary insomnia, mm-hmm. which is a definition of insomnia which hasn't got the underlying sort of or, or secondary aspect associated to it. So people were quite, they didn't understand. They had an issue. They knew that they were, you know, they, they felt unrested in the morning or they have issues, but they couldn't kind of pinpoint the exact kind of physiology or, or aspect that might have influenced their uh, sleep pattern, so the reason why they were sleep. So how do you help them in that situation, Julius? How do you help people identify um, what's worrying them or what's blocking them from sleeping well? Um, So there is something called cognitive behavioural therapy for insomnia, which is a specific course just for these insomniacs where you rule out medication or other medical conditions as being an issue but primary insomnia with no known cause idiopathic insomnia we call it Um, and they can go to courses which helps them you know start to become more at one with their sleep environment let's say get a better sleeping schedule work on their sleep hygiene and take little steps every day just to 
to you know do the best and help the sleep get better and it's been shown to be successful in up to 70 percent of people so it does it does work and it should be used as a primary treatment before uh-huh. pharmacology starts coming in which we know is worth billions to the market but actually it's detrimental to sleep on the whole so of the 70 percent of people who were able to identify the cause that was um, preventing them from sleeping what were the top one or two reasons that people identified? Worries came up on top. So around almost 40% of them reported worries as the main reason why they couldn't sleep or they, they, they identified as one of the factors that impacted on their sleep. And specifically, what type of things were, are people worrying about? Again, unfortunately, with self-report, it didn't go too deep into you know, trying to understand more about what specific worries. But we feel based on a separate piece of research that we did, financial worries seem to, to, to play a major role in terms of huge spikes into the prevalence of uh, self-reported sleep disorders. What we found, for instance, when we followed up older adults uh, during the, from 84 to 2006, during the financial crisis in the early 90s, we, we noticed a huge spike in reporting of, of uh, restless sleep or sleep through worry. And again, and that's kind of may make us make the linkage between those or that study and our more recent study where we found that worries became on top. And again, even in our study where we look at the impact on financial crisis on uh, sleep uh, loss through worries, what we found there was a huge like 20-25% increase in sleep related to worries. The other interesting factor is that worries tend to decline as a main reason for sleep as people get older. So it might be that people in their 50s, 40s, they are, during financial crisis, they're worried about job security, financial implication of losing a job. They don't know what's going to happen, whether or not they're going to lose their job, how they're going to provide for their families, and so on. Some of them might feel that their career is at risk. And so, so there are a lot of these probably factors that might Im- impact. Again, it's also the, the time when people have children, or your you know, children go to school, and, and so on, or they move, move out of your house. <laughs> so what, it's quite interesting. So what we found that though in older adults, illness and uh, toilet needs, yeah. which probably, again, these two sort of reasons might be linked because I suppose toilet needs could be incontinence or, or some other aspect. So it's still some sort of medical underlying uh, aspect. But as people got older, the, the, the main reasons for reporting sleep problems seems to change, to shift towards more chronic medical illnesses. It's interesting um, because there's research on dream sleep, you know, REM sleep and the actual dreams in REM sleep being being there for a purpose of being therapy for us. So removing our emotional inkling to a certain event. So, you know, I broke my leg and now, now I can think about that instant without feeling emotionally attached. And apparently that's dream sleep that does that. So if these people who have worries or significant life events that are struggling to sleep because of it actually just sleep, and it would make, that's their own therapy, pretty much. So this has been a really insightful discussion and it's clear that there are multiple factors that can impact on sleep. Um, Some of those are personal, physiological, but also, Alex, environmental. So from a societal perspective, what might need to change to enable people to sleep more effectively? 
think, I think that that's a, it's, it's a valid point. I, I feel we need the society as such, and government policies at any level, they have a, an important role to play in improving the quality of sleep from housing, improving the quality of housing, you know, crowding, overcrowding, noise pollution, they're all factors that impact on individual ability to have a restful sleep. There's a huge sort of role for the government to promote and make sure that they create an environment where people can uh, take advantage of, of having a good night's sleep. And you talked earlier on about that being particularly important in, in urban environments. Exactly. There is evidence that people living in urban areas tend to report more uh, greater sleep problems. Again, it could be for various reasons, but one of these be noise pollution, air pollution. We cannot just rely on clinicians or, uh, on, or um, sleep specialists to sort out uh, the issues of population at large. You know, we have all, all of us, we have a sort of to be involved in, 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 into trying to see how we can change the society. And also, there, there's also we, we don't know about all these businesses. Again, they have, uh, they, they have to also contribute and, and kind of support uh, um, researchers, clinicians work in terms of how the work environment can be adapted in order to sort of cater for people with uh, different uh, social backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds, with different problems. And look after the employees exactly. and they will look after the business. <laughs> yeah. you know. yeah. um, but that's interesting what you were saying there because especially in businesses, everyone's circadian rhythm is different. So some people are night owls and some people are morning larks. So for everyone to come to work at 7, 8 in the morning is not reasonable for the night owls who tend to go to bed later because they biologically function to do that. So it's about businesses understanding that everyone's a bit different so if these employees want to start work at 11 and work a little bit later they should be able to do that because that more sits into their schedule having leaflets and raising awareness on sleep as well should be something that everyone is mm. is promoting and from an individual perspective what do you feel the, the the key things we can do to support our sleep are the main thing i would say is to stick to a strict sleep schedule going to bed at the same time and waking up at the same time even on the weekends i know it's hard guys i know but that will be the single most important thing that you can do to to help better your sleep avoid screens and phones up to an hour before bed reduce your caffeinated intake uh, as we know coffee can last in the system up to eight hours so you know early afternoon last cup of coffee i would say um would help and we know good sleep is good for your cardiovascular, re reduces cardiovascular incidence. One stat that has been mentioned on the daylight saving, where time goes back one hour, heart attack increased by 20% on that day. So that should be enough evidence Gosh. to show that the acute effect of chronic sleep loss has on us. So if my sleep pattern is indisciplined, let's put it that way, mm -hmm. how would I go about establishing a stricter, more regular pattern of sleep? I think just becoming aware of it primarily um, and knowing how you function in the daytime. Do you want to change your sleep pattern? You know, some people are happy doing as they do, um, but the best way to do it is just to stick to a bedtime, stick to a morning time. And is there a place for daytime naps? There is a place. There's a time and a place. You know, it's a controversial topic, but some people function off a nap. I have a little 10-minute snooze in the afternoon, just put my head on the table and I'm good. You know, they say as long as you don't do it for up to 30 longer than 30 minutes and not late in the afternoon where it may impact your, your normal sleep. But I'm a fan of early afternoon short naps.
Yes. The average sleep that we should get is eight hours, which is a third of our day. So we spend technically a third, or should be spending a, a third of our life asleep. So invest in a good mattress, make sure that you're getting <laughs> the right quality sleep because it's fundamentally important. And if it wasn't, evolution would have mo- removed it from our, our daily, daily lives. Mm. Now, if I was to offer you a magic pill that would reduce your incidence of cardiovascular disease, reduce your incidence of cancer, reduce your risk of diabetes, promote good cognitive function, you would buy it instantly over the counter. But it's free. It's good <laughs> quality sleep. So in summary then, sleep is a, a seriously good business. It's seriously good for us. Yes, it seriously is. And it's, it's an exciting time to be yeah. at the, yeah. in sleep right now because it's now starting to blow up. We're starting to see a lot more, hopefully more research, more money pumped into it so we can start to learn a lot more. Okay. So what I'd like to do is just thank you for taking the time to join us for this podcast. Um, Booper have got lots of information on um, getting a good night's sleep and you can access this by searching online for Booper Sleep. That's all for today and be sure to subscribe to the Healthy Me podcasts to keep up to date with our next episodes.